Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the incredible salvation you have provided us with. And sadly, Lord, many go through life not really grasping all that they are and have in the Lord Jesus Christ. For many, their salvation is viewed as nothing more than a ticket into heaven. And their life is a struggle with sin, at times trying to gain your acceptance. But Lord, we thank you that as the chapter we're dealing with now points out, we are already accepted. We're accepted in the beloved. And Lord, I just pray that that truth might really sink home in each of our hearts and lives. And that it will have its impact. Lord, I thank you that we each have your Holy Spirit in us to guide us, to teach us. Uh, His role of taking those things which are Christ's and making them known unto us. Lord, we pray that we would be open and receptive to his ministry this day. For it's in in the precious name of Christ we pray. Amen. Okay, I do want to say I appreciate those of you who have prayed for me over the last couple weeks. My surgery went well and my um, recovery has gone better than expected. Uh, Over the years I've heard a lot of horror stories about uh, knee replacements. God has been gracious to me twice now in letting me have two different knee replacements and neither one of them being anywhere near as hard as what most people uh, experience. And so as of Friday I was within four degrees of full range of motion uh, on my knee. I'm hoping I'll be at full range tomorrow. Uh, and then uh, start in with some strength building and stuff uh, at outpatient. God gave me a just a really, really good therapist. I've actually had a lot of fun with him. Uh, and I know most people don't talk about PT as something they enjoy, but I actually enjoyed the guy a lot and going to miss him. Uh, uh, tomorrow will be my last day with him, and then I start doing outpatient uh, therapy. Just praying that the Lord will line me up with the person he wants me with uh, there uh, as I move forward. But, uh, yeah, I just count myself incredibly uh, blessed to uh, be this far along. Uh, Joe and I were praying before I ever had surgery that God would work it out where I wouldn't have to miss any of my teaching. Uh, And he worked that out. Uh, I actually taught our Sunday evening study last Sunday. People came to our house and we were able to do it. And this week I'm able to be up and around enough to uh, to be here. So uh, again, thanks for those uh, to those of you who have prayed uh, for me during this time. Okay, we're in chapter three. I want to try to finish it up today. Uh, I will say we won't have Sunday school next, or, or we won't have this teaching next week. Uh, we're going to have the Eberts uh, in town, missionaries uh, that we support in uh, the Philippines, and he's going to be having, I think, both Sunday school and uh, the uh, church hour. So I do want to try to get uh, to the end of acceptance today. I do want to review a little bit. It's been a couple of weeks since we've uh, met. You know, in um, Romans chapter 12, Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
Uh, but I've learned in life that the renewing of our minds is a long, slow process with having to at times be reminded of things over and over and over again. Uh, that we don't just hear something one time and suddenly it sticks with us and it changes everything. Generally, uh, we have to hear it over and over. We have to meditate on it. Uh, and over time, it does become, it really does change everything. And acceptance is one of those things that I think we have to be reminded of over and over and over again. And it is an important uh, issue. You know, as he pointed out uh, when we started this chapter uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, that uh, acceptance, even on a human level, is incredibly important. And we saw when we started this chapter that there are two questions that every believer needs an answer to. The one is, does God fully accept me? You know, when you think of your relationship to God, you know, does God fully accept you? And if he does, on what basis does he do so? And that is so incredibly important. Now, we know from Scripture that God does accept us and he has made us acceptable in the beloved. And we talked about this two weeks ago. That it is important for us to grasp that the, our acceptance in the eyes of God is based solely upon our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not based on any merit on our part. Nothing I do causes God to accept me. I cannot merit his acceptance. Any acceptance and all of the acceptance I receive from God is based on the fact that I am in Christ. And in Christ is a term we'll use a lot as we move forward through this book. It's a term that's used very heavily in the New Testament. Over a hundred times in the epistles, it talks about us being in Christ or in him. In Ephesians alone, it talks about it 32 times. That we are inseparably bound to Christ. Now, I threw this little graph up a couple of weeks ago. And I talked about, you know, our old Adamic life is never going to be acceptable to God. In fact, God's answer to the old Adamic life is to crucify it. It is seen to be hang, hung on a cross. It's not as some want to say, it's not dead and gone, it's crucified. It's in a place of judgment, a place of humiliation, a place that will ultimately lead to its demise. Christ says, you know, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross daily. It's an ongoing thing. But this old Adamic nature will never be uh, accepted by God. What is accepted by God is who we are in Christ. This new creation life. Which is in union with Christ. And I pointed out, you know, our new man is being spirit led and it grows. And it shares uh, in Christ's resurrection. And it's always, 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 except the old man, the fleshly nature, is never going to change. 
And many a Christian spends their life trying to make the old man acceptable. And generally they fall back on a law system to try to do it. And they're frustrated. And if they do a reasonably good job of making the old man look good, then they're proud. And they're intolerant of others. If they don't do a reasonably good job, they become discouraged and disheartened. We have to understand that our acceptance is in Christ. And he pointed out, God's basis must be our basis for acceptance. You know, I have got to come to rest in the fact that God accepts me as a new creation in Christ. He doesn't accept my old Adamic life. He doesn't want it. He said, you know, just leave that nasty thing hanging on the cross. I used to tell my students we have a lot of statements in Christendom that aren't always accurate. You know, one is God wants you to give your life to him. And I say, no, he doesn't. Your life stinks. He doesn't want it. He wants you to embrace his life. He wants you to accept his life as yours. He doesn't want your life. It's a mess. He wants you. You as a person. He wants you. And he wants you to embrace his life as your life. And that life is totally acceptable. And always will be. And the sooner you learn the difference between these, the better off you're going to be. And as I pointed out, when I don't care how long you've been a believer, if you step over in the flesh, it will not be any different. It will be as nasty as ever. And it's not that your new life has gone backwards, it's that you stepped over into an old life that has not changed. And as I think I said two weeks ago, the more I grow in the Lord, the more schizo I look. Because the bigger the difference there is between what I am in Christ and what I am in the flesh. And I think that's true of every believer. Now, so he says, our basis, God's basis must be our basis for acceptance. There is none other. If you're looking for any other basis of God's acceptance other than who you are in Christ, you will never find it. You can spend your life searching, but you will never find it because we are accepted in the beloved. Now, you know, and this is about the area we ended last week. We said when the Holy Spirit reasons with man, he does not reason from what man is for God, but for what God is to man. The Holy Spirit's not trying to reason to what we can become for God. His reasoning is what God is to us. 
soul's reason from what they are in themselves as to whether God can accept them. You know, we want to look at our own lives and we want to somehow see ourselves doing things or becoming things that are accepted by God. And he said, God can't accept us on that basis. He cannot. Why? Because you are looking for righteousness in yourself as a ground of acceptance with him. He said the problem is if you're trying to, you know, do this or do that to gain his acceptance, you are looking to your own righteousness. And he said you'll never get peace while you reason that way. You're never going to find peace in that way. You know, you and I, um, and let me start at that point with a statement. It says, the Holy Spirit always reasons from what God is, and this produces a total change in my soul. It's not that I abhor my sins. Indeed, I may have been walking very well. But I abhor myself. This is how the Spirit reasons. He shows us what we are, and that is one reason why he often seems so very hard and does not give peace to the soul. As we are not relieved until we experientially, from our hearts, acknowledge what we are. God has to bring us to the place where we see what we are apart from Christ. And the Holy Spirit is constantly at work seeking to show us that old Adamic life, what it's like. <coughs> you know, the world tells us we need to love ourselves. The Holy Spirit says, no, you love yourself too much. You need to come to abhor who you are apart from Christ. And then come to see who you are in Christ. Uh, Joan L. used a book several times with some young women. It was entitled, what was it? Uh, Christ's Image versus Self... Uh, okay, Christ's Esteem versus Self-Esteem. There's a big difference. The world is saying we need self-esteem. No, we need Christ's Esteem. We need to see this new life that we have in union with Christ and come to esteem it. But he says, until the soul comes to that point, that point of really seeing what the old man is life, he, that is the spirit, does not give it peace. He could not. It would be healing the wound slightly. He says the soul has to go on until it finds there is nothing to rest on but the abstract goodness of God. And then if God be for us, who can be against us? So he's saying, look, the Spirit's work in our life is to bring us to that point where we have absolutely nothing to rest on but the abstract goodness of God. 
Nothing but His grace. Now the journey to get there is part of spiritual growth. And we'll talk about, we've talked about this some, and we'll talk about it more as we go, as move forward. You know, at times we as believers in our own lives, and particularly looking at the lives of others, only define growth as what could be called upward growth. As Christ is increasingly seen in us. But there's a whole lot of downward growth in the Christian life. And it is growth if today you see more clearly your own inabilities than you did yesterday or a year ago. If you are increasingly aware of the (laughs) not I part of the equation, you've grown. And that's important, again, with, with your own life. But when you're ministering to others, it's important to see that in others. Because at times when people are struggling and people are failing, we want to say, oh, they aren't growing. No. They're growing. They're just growing downward. And it's, there may be years of downward growth. Some have longer journeys than others, but it's part of growth. You know, I believe God has all eternity to show us all that we are and have in Christ. He has this lifetime to show us what we are apart from Him. He has this lifetime to show us what we're apart from Him. He has all eternity to show us what we are in Christ. But he really only has this lifetime to show us what we are apart from him. Uh, because once we leave this life behind, we leave the old man behind. And, and all we have is who we are in Christ. And so, you know, God's going to utilize our time here on this earth to show us what life apart from him is like. So that we will embrace all the more fully what we have in Christ. Now he goes on today. He says, you know, sadly most believers actually reason just the opposite. From themselves to God. And we all have probably done this in our own lives and we know others who do it. When all is going well and God seems to be blessing, then it is that they feel he loves and accepts them. So man, when things are going great, you know, the family's running along smoothly, the job's doing well, you know, uh, we're in good financial shape and this and that. Oh, God loves me and God is blessing me. But, when they're stumbling and everything seems dry and hard, they feel he does not love and accept them. Woe is me, God does not accept me anymore. But he asked the question, how can this be? 
There is nothing about us to commend us to God. Our acceptance being in Christ plus the fact that most of our true spiritual development comes through the dry and hard times. He said, how can we come to this conclusion? You know, there's nothing, nothing, nothing in us apart from Christ that makes us acceptable to him. And as he points out, a lot of our spiritual development, and I think if you look back on your Christian life, you will find that a lot of your development has come through hard, dry times. And so he says, thank God he has accepted us in his son. And upon that fact, we must rest our faith. I hope you come to the place, if you have not already, that day by day by day, you put your faith in the fact that no matter what's going on in your life, whether you're struggling with sin or whether you're living for the moment in the realm of freedom and victory, that you're accepted by God, but that acceptance rests on who you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where peace will come. Yeah. You know, I was thinking, y'all, isn't this true that we try to find acceptance from others? We need it. We want it. And we try to find it. And it was just the most endearing towards God thing to me in realizing this. Because there is no one else really in all, all of life that accepts us both. And, and accepts us in the beloved. It's his deal, not ours. And there's so much freedom in that, isn't there? Think about it. There is where freedom is because our acceptance is found there in him, not in us. And now we try to find acceptance from others. And I, and I love people. If you know me, you know that. But um, at the end of the day, it makes even other people more enjoyable and more and more freer with them when we find our acceptance in Him. Mm -hmm. And we can love others unconditionally because our acceptance is in Him. It just changes everything. Yep, it does. Now he says, as in justification, our acceptance is by grace alone. Now I hope everybody in this room accepts the fact that your justification, your righteous standing in the eyes of God is by grace alone. Well, the same scripture that tells you that, you know, uh, you are justified by grace also tells you that you are accepted by grace. There's not a different standard. And so we learn to, by faith, accept this reality. He says, in his classic Romans verse by verse, 
William R. Newell presents some penetrating thoughts regarding this grace. He writes, There being no cause in the creature why grace should be shown, the creature must be brought off of trying to give cause to God for his care. He says, We've got to quit trying to give God a reason to care about us. He does it by his grace. He has been accepted in Christ, who is his standing. He is not on probation. You and I are not on probation. We are accepted. As to his life past, that old Adamic life, as far as God is concerned, it does not exist. Who I once was died at the cross. And Christ is now his life, my life. Grace once bestowed is not withdrawn. And that's important to keep in mind. What God freely gives us, he does not take back. For God knew all the human exigencies, the needs and demands we would have beforehand. His action was independent of them, not dependent on them. God knew what he was taking on when he took you and me on. He knew what was going to come down the road. And it wasn't, and, and his action in, in reaching out and accepting us was independent of all these things. They are not dependent on our actions in any way. Now he's got a number of statements here that, that are really thought-provoking, I think. To believe and to consent to be loved while unworthy is a great secret. He says, you want to know the great secret of the Christian life? To believe and consent to be loved even though you know you don't deserve it. To believe that God truly, unconditionally loves you despite your unworthiness. And to find, to be able to rest in that reality. This always, I think, hits a lot of people. To refuse to make resolutions and vows, for that is to trust in the flesh. Now he's not saying in your marriage ceremony you shouldn't say your vows or anything. <clears throat> but I think he's speaking especially on a spiritual level. These believers who, who make their vows and resolutions to God. And a lot of times try to manipulate God in that way. God, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. If you will get me out of this situation, Lord, I, I vow to you that, you know, I will do this or that I won't do that. He says... To refuse to make these vows or resolutions because it's to trust in this old Adamic nature in the flesh. It's not your new creation in life in Christ that's making those vows. It doesn't have to. As soon as we start making these vows and resolutions, we've stepped over into this wrong area. To expect to be blessed, though realizing more and more the lack of worth. 
Do you really expect that God's going to bless you? Not because you deserve it, but because of who he is. says to rely on God's chastening child training hand as a mark of his kindness see when God chastens us we tend to think oh now he doesn't love us he doesn't accept us we don't see it as an uh, uh, part of his love part of his kindness part of his uh, action to bring us back over into this realm where we need to be We are not chastened for what we're doing over here in our new creation life. We're chastened when we start living our life over here in the flesh. And it's to bring us back over into that area that remains accepted 24-7. Our life in Christ. To hope to be better... Hence, acceptable is to fail to see yourself in Christ only. I think that's a significant one. You can't improve on who you are in Christ. So, when you start desiring to be better, you're probably back over here in the old man. Hoping to improve it. You can't improve on who you are in Christ. Yes. So the answer is to get to know who we are in Christ. Yep, to get to know and, and to spend our time there. And, you know, uh, rather than trying to put makeup on the old man, trying to patch him up and make him look better, to really learn to live on the basis of who we are in Christ and come to understand it with greater and greater clarity. To be disappointed with yourself is to have believed in yourself. Generally, our disappointment comes over here in the old, old man. The old man still thinks he can be better. The old man still thinks he can be patched up and and made acceptable. And we get disappointed when we fall short. When I fail, I just need to cause it to remind me I have stepped off of who I am in Christ. To be discouraged is unbelief as to God's purpose and plan for blessing you. To be discouraged is to be is unbelief as to God's purpose and plan for blessing you. God's desire is to bless you. God's desire is to bless me. Spiritually, we've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. But what it takes for us to really experience some of his blessings sometimes is a difficult path. 
there was that song a few years back uh, on blessings. You know, talk about, uh, oh, I don't remember all the words, but, huh? Yeah, blessings, yeah, come through raindrops and talked about coming through tears. Uh, you know, that there's a lot of things at times in life that we don't really see are God's blessings in disguise. Uh, that there are things that God is using to grow us and to, to bring us along. And, um, uh, the, you know, the words of that song were pretty good in that it it just shows that so often, you know, we she talks about we pray for this and we pray for that and then we wonder why God basically does what he does and, and we realize, fail to realize that sometimes our answers to prayer come in ways that we don't really understand what he's doing. To be proud is to be blind. <laughs> For we have no standing before God in ourselves. If we become proud of who we are, if we become proud of what we've accomplished, we're blind. Because apart from Christ, we are nothing. But in Christ, we have everything coming to see who we are and what we have in Christ produces true humility you know we talked about, I've talked about humility before I said years ago my daughter Emily one night I think in the middle of the night she always seemed to forget our time difference when she was in in Michigan and I was in Ireland she called and was talking about something in in a study she was doing she said you know dad I've come to I used to think humility was thinking lowly of myself she said I've come to see that humility is not thinking of myself and that's where coming to see who we are in Christ produces hum, true humility it doesn't give us a low view of ourselves I say, you know, Christ was defined as humble, and yet Christ claimed to be the king of Israel. Christ claimed to be uh, the son of the most high God. Christ claimed to be worthy of worship. I don't think that's a low view of yourself. So where do we see the humility in Christ is that he did not think of himself. And the more we come to see who we are in Christ, and the more we draw our acceptance from Him, our focus is on Him. And it doesn't give us a low view of who we are. But it's a humble view of who we are because it focuses on Christ. True humility. We don't go through life, oh, I'm just a worm, or this or that. No. We see, I'm a child of the Most High God because I'm in Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven because of Christ. I'm a joint heir with Christ because of Christ. And my focus is more and more on Him. 
To become proud is to live in this realm over here of the old man, and it is a realm of blindness. He says, to lack divine blessing therefore comes from unbelief and not from failure of devotion. God wants to bless you. He's already blessed you spiritually in every way possible. He wants to bless you in a lot of other ways. But he wants you to live by faith. And quit trying to earn his acceptance. Quit trying to win things from him. And just put your confidence in his goodness. He says to preach devotion first and blessing second is to reverse God's order and preach law not grace. You know, if you start saying, well, you know, God is going to bless you if you are devoted to him. says, you've reversed the order of things. Devotion comes out of his blessing. It is not the cause of his blessing. The law made man's blessing dependent upon devotion. He says, grace confers undeserved, unconditional blessing. He says, our devotion may follow, but does not always do so in proper measure. Over the years, God has blessed Jonelle and I immensely. But it hasn't been because of our devotion to him. Any devotion we have to him is an outflow of the blessings he has bestowed upon us. Over and over and over and over again. He says, have we been afraid to really believe God? Have some been afraid to allow others to really believe him? We must never forget that God's ways are not always man's ways. In fact, I feel that there are less and less man's ways all the time. To some men, constant peril is the only spur to action, and many religions and psychologies are dependent on fear to keep their disciples in line. Fear, too, has a place in Christianity, but God has a higher, more effective motive than fear. And one of these is love. Often fear after a while produces only numbness, but love thrives on love. You know, he starts out, have we been afraid to really believe God? Have we even been afraid to allow others to really believe him? And again, I think I told you, uh, not too long after we were in Ireland, I had a missionary with a different organization come to me and say, Rick, you just can't preach grace too much because it'll just encourage the, uh, the Irish to go out and sin. You need to back off on that grace preaching. They were afraid, he was afraid to really allow the believers to believe God. And it, sorry, that's my phone dinging. Uh, but, uh, and he, you know, he goes on here, he says, to promise a man the certainty of his destiny 
may seem on a human level like playing with fire, but that leaves God out of the picture. And see, this is... <laughs> this is the problem, you know. Uh, when we start talking about grace and, and, and God's grace, a lot of people leave God out of the picture. You think, wow, you know, if, if you... Uh, guarantee somebody's eternity, uh, destiny, or even if you guarantee somebody uh, God's acceptance. That's just playing with fire. They don't realize what God is capable of doing. And he says that those who have the deepest appreciation of grace do not continue to sin. If you really, really, really come to understand God's grace, it doesn't cause you to desire to go out and sin more. It really doesn't. If you really begin to understand what grace makes possible for you, you want to utilize those provisions. And he says, moreover, fear produces the obedience of slaves. Love engenders the obedience of sons. God's not looking for a bunch of slaves. God could have built robots if that's what he wanted. He wants people who choose of their own accord to follow him. He says, for if the trumpet gives an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for battle? 1 Corinthians 14.8 Until the Christian is absolutely and scripturally sure of his standing, he's not going to do much standing. <laughs> Stand therefore, Ephesians 6.14. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, who hath loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good work, word and work. You know, it's God who has given us you know, this hope through grace. And it's he who will establish us in our words and works. But it starts with us believing what he has had to say about us. Acceptance is so critical. Until we come to really embrace our acceptance in Christ, a lot of the other promises in the New Testament are meaningless to us. If every day we're struggling to somehow gain God's acceptance, all these promises he makes are meaningless. But when we begin to realize that our acceptance is in Christ, in Christ alone, it never alters, then these promises begin to mean the world to us. We're out of time. We'll stop there. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll pick up with the next chapter on God's purpose. Another significant chapter as we look at what God is trying to achieve in your life and in mine. What his ultimate purpose is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you now for this time. We thank you for our acceptance, which is in Christ. 
We pray, Lord, that we might really come to embrace the fact that we are fully accepted, always will be, but that the basis of our acceptance is our new life in Christ, and that increasingly we would learn to live in that realm. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.